0: You're listening to Canada's Court, your home for all your Canadian basketball needs. Here's your host, Philip Drost. Well, let's talk about basketball. There's a lot going on in the world right now, and in basketball, of course, but we're going to talk about that on an upcoming podcast. Right now, we're going to talk about something to do while you're sitting at home, keeping your distance from everybody, following uh, health authorities' uh, restrictions on how to keep you safe. And this is the perfect time to read or listen to a great book. And that's what I've been doing uh, over the past uh, few weeks. And on Canada's court, we're going to do a series of podcasts on some of the best basketball books out there. And first on that list is Tanking to the Top, the Philadelphia 76ers and the Most Audacious Process in the History of Professional Sports. That book is by Jerome Weitzman. own Weitzman isn't award-winning writer for Bleacher Report, and he joins me now to talk about the book. Your own, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So uh, how are you doing these days? Feeling okay? Doing okay?
1: Uh, sure, as much as uh, anyone in New York City who's with uh, a wife and two kids in a two-bedroom apartment can be. But, you know, well, well, healthy, so can't complain, right?
0: There you go. What's it like trying to promote a book during all this?
1: Um, it's, uh, it's not ideal, right? Just definitely trying to find some, uh, different sort of, um, avenues to do so, right? A lot of, uh, a lot of Zoom, a lot of Zoom <laughs> readings that are awkward and weird, so, not ideal, for sure.
0: Yeah, as long as, you, especially if, uh, you have some people Zoom bombing you these days, that's, uh, that's... A yeah, very exactly. Thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, let's, let's start a bit on the book here. So, just take me through, uh, your process, if you will, on writing the book. Where did you start when putting this all together
1: um it started i mean i, I cover i'm based in new york i uh, i would cover the, i would cover would go down to write about the team a little bit during the 2017 2018 season um because the new york teams weren't exactly providing much to um write about for my day job at Bleacher report so uh that season i would start going down to philly 2017 2018 the sixers had a playoff run that year i covered them for that run um, after. Yeah. So basically, you know, after that, I kind of from the train home, I forget when exactly. It was either during the playoffs or right after I kind of figured out this or thought, oh, this seems like it could be a, a good book idea. Um, and then basically spend the summer working on a proposal. And then I think it was July. It was in summer league. I kind of I got the call saying uh,
0: there was a publisher interested in the book. And what what part of the 76er story was it that that really drew you to it? What, what kind of got you excited about writing this?
1: Um, I was drawn to the I mean like the whole idea of just the process, the idea of all um, called the culture war around it, right The idea of who was right, who was wrong, why so many people seemed uh, why this thing seemed to drive so many people mad. Um, that plus a lot of the personalities, right. Um, whether it's Sam Hinkie, Joel Embiid, um, Ben Simmons, Brett Brown, just a lot of names, just kind of all that stuff. It uh, it seemed obvious to me from the outside there was a lot of stuff going on there and behind the scenes, and I was kind of curious to tell that story.
0: Now, what was it like when you you did pull that curtain and got a look behind the scenes? Was there anything that kind of really really surprised you about what you found?
1: Um, yeah, a lot. Right, <laughs> if not, it probably wouldn't be good. Um, there was a lot, yeah, just seeing how decisions... I mean, like, this story is a little different in that we all kind of knew what happened or know what had happened here, right? You kind of mm-hmm. remember the what, know the what's. It was my job I felt like was trying to unpack the whys and show that to readers and for myself to learn. Um, so a bunch of things, like the Sixers, some, you know, Sixers business people, um, business executives not being so on board, or not being on board or working against Sam Henke, Um, some of the ways that Brett Brown, head coach, kind of struggled, um, you know, creating a culture of accountability, a bunch of stories, things like that. Yeah, there was a bunch that surprised me for sure.
0: Yeah, I I think that that's a great point in that it really was just revealing not the what's because we all knew the what's, but that behind the scenes stories, that's what really I found was interesting because, yeah, of course, following the NBA, I knew about uh, Mark Al Fultz, and I knew about the process, and I knew that there was some troubles with Embiid and he, him sitting out a year and all that stuff, so it was really interesting to, to see that, that deep dive into it, but you had a bit of, uh, trouble getting one of the main characters to talk to you. Uh, Sam Hinkey uh, didn't want to do an interview for the book. How frustrating was it to not be able to get, like, one of the, the main guys to, uh, sit down with you?
1: Um, yeah, it was definitely frustrating, for sure. Um, but I, I, so a couple parts. Like, I, someone who operates, like, under the idea that, you know, these guys don't owe me anything just because I decide to write about them. Um, so I always try to keep that in mind. Yeah, he was, um, I thought I would get him. I thought he would, you know, when I start calling his roommates and uncles and friends mm-hmm. and nephews, you know, all these people, um, I kind of thought he would come around. He didn't, in a way, I sort of respect it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he stuck to his guns. He was definitely difficult. You know, he would tell people. He would tell those people not to speak with me. Um, yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, it's probably something I would have liked. I would have loved to have get some more sit-downs with him just to pick his brain on a few things. But I just like, look at all of that as sort of like a challenge, and then you just
0: have to go around and tell the story in a different way. And you were certainly able to do so. But why do you think it was that he was so kind of unwilling to, to share his side of it and even, even uh, tell some of his friends and co- former colleagues to, to do the same?
1: It's just not his personality. I don't think he likes talking about himself. And we saw when he was in the job, too. He doesn't like talking about himself or the job, Um, I think, to a detriment um, a little bit. Um, Yeah, just really not his personality at all. That that would be my short answer.
0: Yeah, fair enough. And uh, what do you think now? You've you've gone through it. You've gone through pretty much every detail there is about the process. Is there a definitive way to say if it worked or not? Do you think someone can make that call?
1: Um, I say it does. I say it did, right? It's not about, I mean, championship obviously is a goal, but, um, you know, they're a contender. If you're a Sixers fan, you know, three years now, you'll have a few more at least of where like every game matters. The team matters. They're covered in a way that matters. Um, they weren't that before. Um, so I thought, you know, give up two, three years for this. I would take that in a heartbeat. Like I joke, I live in New York, you know, the Knicks have lost, uh, for 20 straight years without doing so on purpose. um, Yeah, no, I think it worked. And, you know, again, Hinky. some of it was his fault, right? The reason that he was ousted was he was certainly partially to blame, um, but it's also not necessarily fair to judge the project. Like, if you start a project, get yanked off of it halfway through and three other people complete it, is that fair to judge you on it, right?
0: Um, Probably not, so. Yeah, fair. Do you think anyone will try to do something as uh, audacious as you put it in the title, as, as tanking like that again?
1: Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, one, the league made it clear they weren't big on it. Two, the rules have changed a little bit. You know, they flattened the lottery odds. You have a better, worse chance of if finishing with as bad a record doesn't necessarily, or doesn't give you um, or gift you as great odds of landing the number one pick, right? That's one thing. Um, the way this league is set up now where contracts are shorter, um stars become available the whole idea of it was we need a superstar so the best way to get a superstar is to tank right that's how you get them is get them in the draft now take away the you know where it's less likely you get one in the draft if your record is bad because you might draft number eight instead of number one um superstars also become available much more frequently and there are other ways to get them now other than uh I mean, that's usually for big market teams, but still, um, there are other ways around it. So I think the math on it has made it so where I don't know if we'll see someone do like three, four straight years again.
0: Do you think Sam Hinkie has any sort of re- regret? I mean, it's hard to say. I guess it's really just guesswork because you, you weren't able to, to chat with him. But do you think if he went back and, and had to do it over again, do you think there's anything he'd change? Or do you think it, it'd probably just be the same, just uh, hopefully he could do it? a Little bit longer and not uh, have to step down?
1: Um, no, he would. I think there's certain things he would do differently, certain things he wouldn't. Um, I think he would be a little more. Um, I do think there are times he'd play the game a little more with whether it's agents or media, things like that. Um, that being said, I don't know if he would go further enough. I still think he believed in the work and that the work would speak for itself. And I don't know. Yeah, I think that's still a blind spot he might have the idea that, like, you know Why should I owe an agent anything? They don't care about me, right? And just not understanding that. It's a small world, and a lot of politics play a role in the NBA. So the answer to answer your question, yes and no, right? I think he would mm-hmm. shift a little bit, but I don't know if it would be enough.
0: Now, of all the crazy things you, you, talk, you talk about in the book, there were two for me that I was very excited to learn more about. and One was uh, the Markel Fultz uh, situation, what happened with his jump shot, and then the other was mm-hmm. uh, Brian Colangelo and his burner accounts or his wife's burner accounts depending on what you believe but uh there was just so much reporting and different information on both those stories uh, how did you kind of start sifting through everything that was out there
1: um it's a, it's a question right um kind of the false thing i got i had some good breaks in terms of people speaking with me um that helped, right? And you kind of from there, then you kind of go from there, right? Those were laid those that sort of laid, or those interviews, sort of laid the foundation. So like, one of speaking to a former high school coach of his, um, you know, it's more of a mentor figure. Some other people, uh, you kind of take what they have. You don't necessarily take everything they give you, because right, that's just one person, but you can kind of use it as a foundation, as a launching point. Um, the Brian Colangelo thing. I mean, that was just a mess. That was just a lot of <laughs> Twitter compiling just. Yeah, I don't even know how to go through that one. That one, that was just, that was just those were very different, right? That one was more of, um, you know, probably unfortunately, that was a lot more of me summarizing stuff that had already been out there, like piecing mm-hmm. it all together. The false thing had more original reporting, I think.
0: Yeah, and and I thought that was really interesting, some of the the stories and the anecdotes you told about him, and of course, I, I'd recommend anyone uh, go out and, and read the book or listen to it on Audible like I did, but... um. It was just really uh, interesting to see the how all the uh, events transpired. Do you, uh, what do you think of the whole situation looking back on it? With faults? Yeah. Um, one of the weirdest
1: things in modern <laughs> NBA history, right? Just yeah. one of the strangest things. We've seen it in baseball and other things where like a guy, you know, the yips basically. Mm-hmm. Um, we've never really seen it in the NBA, I don't think. No, at least not like that. Um, yeah, I mean it's a weird thing. It's difficult to talk about and cover. Just the way I describe it is, you know, Markel Fault and his agent make it very clear that they—it's a shoulder. They believe a shoulder injury was the reason for any of this, um, and they refuse to entertain the notion that something else might have been there. Um, but once you start talking about yip stuff, then you're kind of heading down a mental health road, and that's always tricky and dangerous to write about and talk about for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the thing I make is just the way I like to describe it is there was, you know, in the reporting and just the story, just there was a lot of um, a lot of stress in Markel Fultz's life, which I think people can relate to, right? And I just I don't know if that led to things. I just would think it definitely didn't make his life on the court easier. You know, whether he was someone, when he was 15, he was still playing JV basketball. So the rise happened. Um, it was a rapid rise for him and his family. Um, yeah, and I think that would affect... Uh, I think that would affect anyone, right? And you Mm -hmm. have some stories in there about the mother and friends getting in arguments and Markel Fultz crying at one point saying the money did this to us. There's a lot of stuff like that. So does that lead to not being able to shoot? I honestly don't know. I just think it's important to understand the context of these things.
0: Yeah, I think in the book you contrasted it really well uh, where you talked about, of course, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Markel Fultz was only playing at JV not that long ago, whereas Ben Simmons the other uh, Sixers draft pick uh, from, from before had been preparing for this his whole life. So, it, it, and it's it's clear yeah. to see how they entered the league. One seemed a lot more prepared to, even though uh, Simmons had to stay out for a year, uh, he was obviously a lot more prepared for, for what he had to deal with. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's an excellent point th- there. Do you, do you think the Sixers ever played the, the what-if game? I know the... I'm sure the front office probably wouldn't talk about it. But, like, not only the what if you had traded for uh, Jason Tatum, but what if Mark L. Foltz, because he was a, a great three-point shooter in, in uh, university or in college, as you mentioned in the book. What if he had just come into the league and, and been playing, continued to play at that level? Do you think they they think about that at all, or is that probably uh, um, not a good yeah, game to I mean, play?
1: No, for sure. I mean, I don't know a name more, but, like, the thing you have to say is it might not be a great trade, but the player, the player Markel Fultz was projected to be, you know, a big point guard who could shoot, create a little bit. It's things like not create a little bit, create a lot, shoot a little bit. Um, point guard, ball handler, that's exactly the player the Sixers are, you know, are missing. You are thinking of like that. Um, so, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the one thing you have to remember. Like it, the whole, it'd be, it's a real sliding doors thing, right, mm-hmm. in terms of what, how different would things be if that happened, if he was close to the player people expected
0: As a a Canadian uh, basketball uh, writer, I'm not going to try and imagine what it would be like if they had an extra level of talent uh, last year in playoffs. So I'm just going to put that (laughs) from my mind for now. Uh, On a Canadian tie, one of the things that you mentioned in the book was that Brian Colangelo, while he was with the Sixers, was still defending his draft pick of Andrea Bariani. (laughs) Uh, I I find that uh, quite amazing, to be honest.
1: It's just fascinating. I just thought it was, it's, it's hilarious and just is also illuminating in terms of, you know, Brian Colangelo was very aware of what people thought and he was always trying to fight back the image that, um, you know, he was this there because he was Jerry's son and you know his mistakes weren't actually mistakes and things like that, right? And he was just always pushing back against that.
0: Now it makes me wonder if there were if we uh, if we could look back and do some of the analysis that was done on his. Uh, uh some of the other tweets if there was any from his raptors time maybe uh, uh that might be a, another in- exactly. investigation <laughs> now uh again as this is a raptors podcast i can't uh let you go without talking a little bit about last year's uh playoff series between the sixers and the raptors you of course uh covered the uh, game 7 the big shot for bleacher report where were you when uh when that shot went down
1: oh i was uh Call it the hockey uh, press area, where, like all the way up. Right? Oh the yeah, yep. all the way up, But I've I was actually, there. I actually had an angle. I was pretty parallel. Is it parallel the right word? Right, directly mm-hmm. in front. Like I was on the opposite corner, um, straight away from when Kawhi was in, and my angle was good. I was sitting next to um John Gonzalez and the Ringer, and I actually, as the shot bounced, or maybe I, I said that that's going in, and nah, I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. It must have <laughs> been. I think it was before. I think it was before maybe it started bouncing, but just I could see the angle I was at, and I could tell it was online. Um, yeah, that was crazy. That was definitely really a, uh, and then my wife was so excited when it went in because she wanted me to come home. So that was pretty <laughs> funny too.
0: <laughs> that, that's fair. Excited for a different reason. What yeah, was exactly. it like to be in the arena for that? I mean, obviously, uh, Raptors fans were, uh, pretty, pretty pumped.
1: Uh, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty, uh, but you, you gotta mess so up from that perspective though, from so that's great, it's crazy loud. and then my whole thing is, because oh, there's an elevator to get down to the from that press seat to um to where the you know, locker room coaches, press conferences, all that stuff is. And I wanna get down fast, to kinda see everything I can, right? Um, you know, see what's going on behind the scenes, all that stuff. Um so my whole mindset is oh, let me go run and the elevator is slow sometimes. So like I, I the shot went in and I process for about two seconds and then boom, grab my laptop and I'm sprinting to the elevator to try to get in the first. To make sure I can get down, you know, without having to wait twenty minutes.
0: Uh, I'll I'll assume that process mentioned was it wasn't intended as a pun. It was just a... no, 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 no. I've been dealing
1: with that for the time. Write <laughs> a book about the process,
0: and saying no pun intended. Your entire <laughs> I believe it. So, well, what was it like then, from a, a 76ers perspective, as you've got this book in mind, seeing how that that playoffs went? Did it did it change how you, how you ended the book at all? I mean, obviously it changed the, the uh, events of the end of it, but it yeah. changed kind of how it's summed up.
1: Yeah, I, I had to, um, I'll say creative liberty. That's the wrong phrase. I, I fit in a nice tidy ending, a more tidy ending than, than probably was warranted, warranted, right? Like the Hoyt, which, and I guess it's, I was kind of fair, you know, they, they had, they, I end the book at, um, at the free agent, with the free agency signings this summer and saying, you know, whether they win or not, this is like they have a fu- superstar, which it is, even though it hasn't worked well. You know, five-star basically all um, starting lineup. Like this is the results, the process, and the results, right? This is this is the results. They're a contender now. Who knows if they win a championship? Um, this is what we see. So yeah, I probably massage that a little bit, but uh, I'm okay with it.
0: Fair enough. You you gotta you gotta do that sort of thing. I respect that. Um, your own. It was it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Just so uh, uh, people are aware, where is the the best place they can find your book?
1: Um, the best place, wherever books are sold. Do you want to support your local bookstore or anything? I know things are a little uh, crazy now, so you know, ebook is available, or you know, Amazon or wherever books are sold. You know, delivery, all that stuff. If you want to hear my sweet voice, um,
0: you know, read the words. You can do the audiobook. book. <laughs> I, I was just going to ask because I did. I I went with Audible to uh, to listen to the whole thing. What was it like uh, having to record all that? Yeah, it sucked.
1: I don't know. I, I, I hope I did okay. For it. it was It was really hard. It was really. It sounds funny, but like it was actually really hard. I mean, hard. You know, being in. You know, I think like everything we say now has to be with caveats because I'm saying yeah. it's hard while like you know, half New York City is in the in a hospital. You know, fighting a virus without gowns. But no, it was um no, but it was it was uh it was hard. It was definitely it was definitely different.
0: I I believe it. I have to record like just like a one minute thing uh for for radio, and it's like oh wow that took a while. So I can't imagine having to do an entire book, but uh, I I really enjoyed it, and obviously I'd recommend anyone else to uh, go pick it up or or give it a listen because uh, really, really interesting stuff, uh, and it's always fun to listen to a little bit of basketball as we go through some uh, not-so-fun times, and we can kind of take our minds off it a bit at times, I think is good.
1: No, I appreciate it. Yes, At least I hope. um, I know I could use that as well, right? Not just saying that for... I don't mean just me talking to, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> I just mean in general, right? Distractions are good. So um, Absolutely. I,
0: appreciate the, uh, I appreciate the interest, truly. Awesome. Own. thanks for uh, coming on the podcast. It was great to chat with you. Thank you for having me. And that was Own Weitzman, author of Tanking to the Top, the Philadelphia 76ers and the Most Audacious Process in the History of Professional Sports. Uh, you can see his uh, writing regularly on Bleacher Report, and uh, he's an award-winning writer there. Uh, great to have him on the podcast, and that's just one of a series of episodes we're going to be doing on excellent books to read, excellent basketball books to read during this uh, coronavirus and many people staying at home. So good to have uh, something to keep your mind off of a lot of the uh, uh, sad news. Of course, no, uh, no basketball right now, so. Lots of people with lots to do in their evening, so there's uh, something you can do. If you have any suggestions on basketball books you'd like to see featured on the podcast, please uh, feel free to write me or send me a tweet. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Canada's Court. Or you can send me an email, Podcast at gmail.com. And please make sure to leave a rating or review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, really appreciate it here at Canada's Court. That's all for this episode